welcome back to Tectulia. It's been a while. It has been a while. I've been out and about. But we're super excited to be back here, have yeah, a conversation. People have started complaining. I think if you, we went long <laughs> enough that people, like every person I see that listens to podcasts is like, when's the new podcast? We have a small audience, but very engaged audience. Yes. I hope. No, it was definitely, it felt good. Yeah. I was away for several months. I moved to, to Thailand and was uh, oh, yeah. working out there. Went to Vietnam, spent some time in the U.S., but now we're back in Guadalajara, Mexico yeah. at our studios, and we have our friends at Q4 Studio providing audio and video. Yep. Um, and they're doing a phenomenal job. Phenomenal uh, job. Let's talk about that a little later at the end of the episode. We're going to yeah. give a shout out to Q4. I think it's a great story about... A young young company entrepreneurship. They're, they just to let you know, we're the first podcast that they had, but now they've expanded to many, many more podcasts in the yeah. last year. So, uh, podcast industry in Mexico is blowing up. But <laughs> as far as Q four goes, we started the trend. And uh, did I tell you that you didn't meet her, but uh, uh, somebody was here, a listener, and and they uh, thank us for telling them about Tacos Juan. That validates the whole idea of the podcast, which is just to promote our sponsor, Tacos One. <laughs> Did you see that they opened all these locations? Have we asked them if like, we were part of that ex uh, expansion or just something? As, as long as there's a closer Taco Juan, wherever <laughs> I am in Guadalajara. Achievement unlocked. That is all the compensation <laughs> I need in addition to unlimited tacos. We're, we're doing a lot of work here for them. Yeah. Episode today. Right. This is our first episode of the decade, unless you count decades starting in 2021, but that seems dumb. Nobody says the 202021s or whatever. It's, <laughs> the, it's the 20s. Yeah. In Mexico, how do you say the decade? Década. No, but like the 20s. Los 20s. Los 20s? Because mm -hmm. you're not allowed to say 2020 as the year. You got to say yeah, 2020s. Yeah. Los 20s. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. So it's the first episode of the decade depending on how you count. Yeah. And so what we're going to be talking about is predictions Yeah. for the next 10 years. Yeah. We, we only get to do this once every 10 years. So exactly. If you missed this episode, 10 years, you got you to you you really charge through this one. You're not going to get another chance. Yeah. And if you've been a regular user, um, not user, sorry, uh, listener to this podcast, you will see that we like to do a lot of commentary on and things that are happening and what people write out there. So... We found out, uh, or, or uh, a very prominent VC from from New York, uh, Fred Wilson, um, wrote his 2020 uh, predictions. So we will we will just read them. It's a very good list. Yes, I think it will make us smarter to think about them. Yep. Uh, but then we'll complain about the things that we think are wrong. Yeah, there you go. And then he starts with uh, something that is quite interesting from Bill Gates, actually. He says that people tend to overestimate what will happen in a year and underestimate what will happen in a decade, which is quite interesting. Why I, don't we start with absolutely that? Absolutely true. So I think, uh, you know, we're in the WiseLine offices now, and we started WiseLine almost a decade ago, six and a half years. It's, <laughs> it's far from a decade, but if, yeah. If we round up. If, yeah. If we round up. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think if... It's always frustrating how little you get done in each year. Each That's of true. the six years was frustrating in some way. There's a lot of great things that happened, but each of the years was frustrating in some way. Right. But I think if you had asked us when we started it, and we said, hey, look, this is what we're going to build, and this is how it's going to do, we'd all be like ecstatic. Yeah. And I think that's the only way you can really think about life is by, by having that longer view. And if you're going to live 80 true. years, you got to have 
at least 10 year segments that you're planning for. And that's what's interesting about this exercise, right? Where uh, if you look at it from like a very interesting point of view as, as this fellow um, human being did, um, it gives you hope and it gives you an interesting perspective because again, to the point of you overestimate what will happen in a year, you're too optimistic, but then you underestimate what humanity can achieve in a longer period of time, like a decade. Good example of that is the, uh, well, well, we'll go into some of these. I think yeah. a lot of these have a lot of great examples of that 10-year thinking, and that's yeah. going to be a good theme to look at them in. So things that can, are going to be much more of a problem in 10 years than right. you would have expected. Like, you know, when we started talking maybe 10 years ago about, oh, man, social media is going to cause problems for politics. Right. Everyone's like, nah, it's overblown. Yeah. But now Donald Trump's president, so mm-hmm. you're like, oh, yeah. that was a problem. Exactly. And, you know, unless you think that's good, whatever. All right. It's your own business. Should we jump into them? Let's do it. Number one. So he says um, that the looming climate crisis will be what war, World War II was to a couple of generations. So this, this climate crisis will be our biggest challenge for this generation. So there's two ways to think about that, right? One yeah. is that it's like World War II and that it causes like absolute destruction. And then uh, secondarily... Uh, it could also be that kind of rallying thing. I think when people think about the 40s, mm-hmm. and, and if you were an American in the 40s, like the big thing we did is we defeated fascism and we saved the world. Right. And that's pretty cool. Like to have like an organizing yeah. principle. Yeah. Obviously, we would hope that climate change over the next 10 years is not as destructive as uh, World War II, but in terms of Do you think it will be a unifying factor? So, so I'm, I'm going to get into a bit of a... Uh, point of view that might seem political, but I don't think it is. I think that similar to, to World War II, there have been many people that have said some of the social disparities that we're seeing today are very similar to what we saw in World War II. Now, would this fight for climate change unite both the incentives of the have-mores? So how do they call them? Like ha- The haves and the, the haves have- and the have-nots? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you should frame it like that, but what do you think? I don't know. Because like, you see like this, so here, you see this news like, oh, billionaires will just like go to Mars or buy all of Greenland and, 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 and forget about the rest of the people. But then you'd see a lot of people with resources, and that's what uh, Fred Wilson says, that a lot of capital will be allocated to solving this issue, both creating right, more jobs, mm-hmm. both creating more uh, wealth for humanity overall, because it can reduce the creation of power, right? Electricity becomes more available. I mean, we've seen how uh, something as available as electricity can do to a society, right? Yeah. But I just read this some, something this morning that um, you know, sometimes there's those opportunities to leap ahead. And Vietnam mm-hmm. had committed by 2030 to having 10% of their power come from uh, renewables. Right. They, meet, they met that goal before the end of 2019. Nice. Because the price of solar is coming down so much. Yeah. And so for a country like Vietnam that's having a lot of economic growth, to be able to reestablish their economy on solar and renewables is a big opportunity for them because they never have to make those big investments in coal plants yeah. that now China and India, who had invested 10 or 15 years earlier, right. are having to just write off. 
gigantic multi-billion dollar investments in coal and things like that are being written off. So in terms of is it going to unite people or, or yeah. tear them apart? I don't know. It's going to cause a certain kind of tension. I think that tension yeah. is going to lead people to do things very differently. Yeah. I also think uh, that it is going to create alliances where there aren't alliances now, but mm. it's going to create people who are losers. And, uh, you know, coal miners in West Virginia, that, that those jobs aren't coming back. Like, yeah, that's, that's done. Like, that's it's not politically, economically, socially feasible. Um, and that's going to change who owns what and how wealthy people are. And that's always going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it will be something that is because it's a global, uh, global problem, it's going to probably force us to either through global international trade and technology or through global political institutions unify a lot more. And I think that's one of the things that the right wing has always pushed back on is that global warming is just this trick to right. accept a world government. And it's kind of like, well, it's not a trick, but yeah, it's going to do that. Yeah. And you are going to have much more, you know, they have satellites now that can spot methane emissions, which is a major yeah. contributor to climate change. And obviously you can do the same thing with CO2. And so I think more and more there's going to be more people in your business unless you build renewable mm-hmm. power and mm-hmm. you can kind of pull back from making those global pollution. Yeah. If you can if you if you avoid that, you're gonna have a lot more freedom. If your industry depends on creating a lot of carbon or and there's probably other you know, like plastics in the oceans and things like that that are kind of like these globally affecting things or overfishing. Yeah. The oceans are acidifying. Yeah. And the fact that we are forcing ourselves more and more and more towards global institutions that monitor these kinds of side effects of, of trade and, and capitalism is probably going to lead to some overshot. Yeah. I think by 2030, we're going to be talking about, oh, man, the UN is, you know, instituting these taxes. Yeah. Because, you know, like cities are going to start to be destroyed in the next 10 years. The, the I, was, I was in Bangkok. I was in Ho Chi Minh. Like those cities are just going to be underwater. Oh yeah, Florida is going to be underwater yeah. in the next ten or twelve years. It's, I mean, New York was almost destroyed in 2012 <laughs> when this mm-hmm. with this little Hurricane Sandy, yeah. and now they're talking about having to build a hundred billion dollar seawall mm-hmm. to defend New York. Yeah, right. It's like this is just going to get worse and worse and worse, and we will see global political institutions to deal with it, um, and it's just going to get worse over time. So. Yeah, that's the fact. At least in my uh, adulthood, I, I've seen how the government has tried to, at least in Mexico, do something for the environment in a very inefficient way, right? So they started with like, oh, you should separate uh, your garbage, and then it really didn't make an impact. But then when you see that Oxos are going to charge you if you want a plastic bag, like that's change, and and that's what I like. Like lately, people's people minds are bombarded with this concept of we only have one planet you better take care of it it doesn't matter if you understand how this global warming thing works everybody is behind the idea of taking care of our planet in a way that i believe is it's not been seen in a, in, a, in a few years i think that's the case and the young people are on board with uh ecological yeah. conservation and um the old people are going to die. <laughs> and that's like really probably what's going to take in addition to a couple cities going underwater yeah it's going to be horrible but <sighs> Next one. Let's go, to, go? let's go to two. This one's, that one's bumming me out. Why? I don't know. It's just I, to think about these cities underwater just is frustrating. Anyway, All right. let's go. So and, and the, and the number two, bears. yeah, automation. Right. So automation will continue to produce a tremendous amount of surplus in, in consumer goods, and uh, it will define the politics of 2020s. Like um, uh, we'll see capitalism. Capitalism. Sorry. 
come under scrutiny. I think that's absolutely the case. And I would, if we want to make some bold statements on our podcast, which mm-hmm. I don't want to be held accountable for outside of this podcast, like, okay. look, don't come to my house <laughs> if you figure out where I live. Uh, I think capitalism's over. And here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean by okay. that. So if, if we go back to Marx, right? Mm-hmm. I think one of the fundamental criticisms of capitalism is that it alienates the worker from control over their lives. True. Right? And essentially, here's how it works, right? All organization and work and life is arranged around the factory, for instance, if you're Marx, right? Mm-hmm. It's 1850 or whatever. And um, if you don't own the capital, you have no control over the factory, even though the factory is the central point of your town, of your work, mm-hmm. of your life. And so fundamentally, the structure of capitalism alienates you okay. from your work. Right. And so people see automation coming in and they say, well, look, if the worker no longer controls the factory and now the factory doesn't even need the worker because of automation. um, Isn't this going to further alienate the average person? Mm -hmm. If you if you talk about like it's unfair that certain people have more wealth than other people. Look, I don't want as much wealth as Jeff Bezos has. No. I mean, he's getting hacked, he's getting hacked by this. Hacked these. by this. That's a m- more money, more problems. Yeah, exactly. Kind of situation. That's that's exactly the more money, more problems realized in in a in a very specific way. Like at some level, it would be kind of interesting if the head of Saudi Arabia is after you, but I don't want that. No, I'm I'm like I get I get frustrated and anxious about like. Oh, my, I think I have a leak in one of my tires. Like, <laughs> if I got a guy cutting dudes up, yeah, who's after me? Oh, yeah. I don't want that. I don't want that smoke. I'm using yeah. kids' lingo now. Yeah, That's and then somebody destroying your marriage is because he has. Yeah, he. I, if I got a divorce because the head of Saudi Arabia, I mean, I don't think I have. You yeah. know, he had like a girlfriend. On the yeah, side. yeah, yeah. He 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 made his own bed, but like, that's like a big problem, right? I so agree. it's like when we talk about the f- divide between the rich and the poor in terms of wealth, I think it misses the point because it's like, it's that's actually not the problem. And it's not like right. Jeff Bezos can get rid of that money. Yeah. This is something I think other people, are, like Jeff Bezos wants the money because he wants control over Amazon. Right. Right. The fundamental source of the wealth and the use of the wealth is control over his company. Mm-hmm. The problem is not Jeff Bezos being wealthy. The problem is the average person at Amazon having almost no control over their lives. Right. And Jeff Bezos having so much control over so many people's lives. Got it. Right. And so when you restructure that critique of capitalism, I think it more naturally, rather than talking about wealth and value Mm -hmm, and all mm -hmm. that, it's so fucking confusing. Yeah. If instead you say, is the average person going to be more in control of their lives in the future or less? Is Jeff Bezos going to have more control over a million people's lives or less? Mm And um, I think that's the interesting question. And when I say capitalism's over, when capital is the main means of organization, mm-hmm. then that's capitalism. Yeah. If the reason you get out of bed is for capital mm-hmm. and the reason you work at your company is for capital and all these things, if ca- having capital gives you the ability to control people's lives, that's capitalism. Before capitalism, what we have? We have religion right. and a monarchy and these kind of spiritual power mm-hmm. structures, military power structures, and that was militarism or you, you could call it whatever you want. And capitalism is suddenly the guy has a billion dollars and he is the one who determines what everyone else does. So when automation comes... Is that going to decrease or increase the average person's 
control over their lives. And then we can go look at specific examples of that. But I think that's the challenge of capitalism. I don't think we're going to suddenly abandon the free market or anything right. like that or global trade. I think what's going to happen is it's going to make less and less sense and more and more people will be able to control or organize themselves. Not everyone. Some people and some people won't. Yeah. And that's how it's going to be affected. The way I see it is it's this system of capitalism is quite young, right? Like, mm-hmm. like we've only been doing it for, what, 150 years or something? Yeah. Or and, and, and in a way, um, we need to evolve it into something that is going to be more beneficial to all fellow human beings. But if you look at history, you always had people that had a lot of power and people that had not so much. I don't think that given our size in society, that you will always have a balance where everybody is totally equal because it's in human being nature to aspire to do more. And, and, when, to and when you say equal, what do you mean equal? If a husband and a wife technically make the same amount of money, that's good. But the husband's physically abusive to the wife and she doesn't have the opportunity to leave the marriage, right? Yeah. Well, she's alienated from control over her own life. Right. Right. It's not like the husband benefits from being abusive and right. the wife certainly doesn't. So it's like, if we think in terms of power and control, mm-hmm. if we think about what are the opportunities for self-determination and fulfilling meaningful purposes in our life, if somebody goes off and is on a boat for a year and like saves like a million whales and writes a book about it and never receives a dime, are we supposed to imagine that that had no kind of benefit to that person's life? Like mm-hmm. so many people like that's a fantasy of being a famous scientist or a writer, and it's not the material benefit. Right. The tragedy is. And I think if you live in a country like Mexico, there are millions of people who have the ability to be a famous scientist or a famous writer, right? And who are just, they don't have the free time, the access to education. True. And, and because of the, the structures that just happen to exist under capitalism, which the goal of capitalism is not to liberate yeah. human potential. We're not tapping into it, yeah. Yeah, and so those people are limited. Once once you do have that opportunity, I think you're never going to have complete equality in True. the sense of outcomes or material wealth, but you will, I mean, like... A the, better version of what we have today. The, the goal should be, look, and again, like so, so many people in the United States focus on the United States, like, oh, man, the United States, like, you know, the 1% on this, it's like, I don't care about the United States in terms of... There's You have so many opportunities in the United States... Compared to the rest of the world, I think the big story for thinking about a decade, obviously, I, when I just said I don't care about the United States, I care about the United States a lot as a leader and as the source of a lot of the institutions that will be able to liberate people. But the reason the United States is important is because if we build the right things in the United States, it liberates billions of people. I think the cell phone is just like a great yeah. example. I don't want to be too tech utopian, but like... No. The fact that there's billions and billions of people who can buy a cell phone for like 25 bucks and have cell phone coverage, that allows people to operate their lives in drastically different ways. That might not bring material wealth instantly, but over time it's going to decrease their alienation from their own opportunity. It's going to mean that they're going to have more control. We could do a whole podcast episode on that. Like, is tech an equalizer or a uh, gentrificator, right? Wow. And it's, it's going to be specific. And I think when we go through these transitions, let's say 2020 is this big transitional year, right? Let's right. Say, who knows? But let's say it's a transitional year. I think when we have big trans- transitions, it's not so much that things change in how you understand them at the moment, but it's our thinking about things starts to become less important. And the new way of thinking becomes more important. It's like, you know, one of the things we'll talk about here is uh, 
global trade and things like that mm-hmm. and, and wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know any 20-year-old who really cares about having a car? I remember when I was 16, like that right. was the primary focus of my entire life and existence right. was to have a cool car. And now like kids are like, oh, I'm never getting the car. I don't want to, I don't know how to drive. Yeah. I think it's a certain population of kids. I think it's also that cars used to be this kind of item of appreciation because they were so difficult to get. I think most kids these days can get access to a car and that it made it less interesting to them, uh, I think. Well, so have we, have we solved it, automation? We had a good discussion, I guess. <laughs> what I guess. kind of prediction is this? Automation will be important. Like, hey, you know, so Fred, think, <laughs> who's going to win the World Series? No, I think, so I think that what he's saying is, is that automation and, and, and the effects of it will be impacting politics and, and the rhetoric uh, in 2020. Yeah, it's a little gravity. All right, come on. Make some real predictions. Come on. They were, the guy. They're, they're going to cure baldness within the next 10 years. Like, come, just give us some stuff we can work with. <laughs> China. China. Uh, China will emerge as the world's dominant global superpower, leveraging its technical prowess and ability to adapt quickly to changing priorities. I disagree. What do you think? Me too. I, I think they will give a lot of other powers a lot of headache. I don't know. I don't know them another culture enough to know that they will be leading. From what I see from the outside, uh, I don't think they have the principles as a culture to become that dominant player. Uh, I, that's I agree 100% there. And like when we think of America as a superpower, yeah. America is not the superpower. No. It's America's culture, Mm -hmm. which is primarily shared by dozens of other countries. Yeah. And so if there is a bipolar world, it's not going to be America versus China. Right. It's going to be America and Japan and Europe. Yep. And like, you know, I was just in Thailand, right? Like, and this is what I was talking about with Bismarck this morning. I was like, the average old person, if I come to Mexico, and I love old tapatios. Nice. They're my favorite people. Like, I just, every time I see somebody... How old do they need to be? uh, Gray hair. Okay. So, like, substantially. You're not old enough. Okay. But, like, you know, 20 years older than you? Yes. All right. Because every Tapatio saw some terrible stuff at some point in their life. In the 90s, yeah, of course. In the 90s. It was bad. Yeah. And then now, everything's cool. And they have, like, this peace about them. That's true. But they're definitely very Mexican. Yeah. Right? In the way that you would Very think if, if you're coming from the outside, this is a Mexican person. They have a certain culture, a way True. of doing things. They walk very slow. They drive <laughs> bad. Um, I agree. <laughs> I don't find – no one no one look up my, my address uh, or come there, please. Uh, but they're very Mexican, right? Yeah. And when I see someone from Jalisco today who's 22 – they could just as well live in L.A., right? And when I'm in Thailand, old Thai people or old Vietnamese people, especially like old, old Vietnamese people, someone's old enough to have lived during the, uh, during the Vietnam War. Yeah. They've seen some shit. <laughs> and, they, and, they, and you can see it. Like, there's just like a piece about them that are like, I've seen so much worse than this. Right. They don't complain about traffic. Right. Right. But then you go and you talk to a 22-year-old or a 19-year-old person from Vietnam and especially if they speak English, mm-hmm. they might as well live in Los Angeles. Right. Like, there is a global, the internet has created a global community. That's true. They do, they like Fortnite or whatever yeah. YouTube video. Yeah. They like BTS. Yeah. And so when China has to become this superpower, 
it's not over the United States. And right. I think the United States military is much less important as the sustaining factor of this culture. Yeah. It's the culture itself and the economic system behind it. Um, it's awesome. Like China the, is awesome, but like for like many, let's call them empires that have existed in the past, they had an influence over culture, over principles, and to some degree over the military. I think they can get the military part okay, the technology part okay. The culture though, not not, not I'm, I'm not speaking about the Chinese culture as a evolution of a society. I'm speaking about the one imposed by the government, right? Like yeah. the cultural principles that the government is 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 uh, promoting. I, I don't think many human beings can get behind it. Yeah, if you look at China in 1980 to China right now, its contact with the United States and its interaction has made it look more and more and more like the United States. And True. I think that will continue to be the case. I think American business culture is one of the best in the world. As an example that, you know, when we first started WiseLine in Guadalajara, we had some behavior issues. Yeah. You know, some, and it's not like people were like behaving bad for Mexico. It's that when you take American standards and apply them to Mexico, some people were doing stuff that is like, you know, yeah. you guys use some, some pretty harsh, uh, Nicknames. Language, yeah. You know, you can't you can't go to the United States and call someone like, "Hey, fatty," <laughs> but in in Mexico, that's pretty common. Yeah, you hey, gordo, and like nobody flips out. It's just like, yeah, he's fat. What? Yeah. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. true, right? Yeah. And so it's like, but who was the winner in that interaction? Yeah, it was the American culture, and eventually, you know, HR came in, cleaned the whole thing up, and I think that's a huge benefit to Mexico because you can't call someone chinito. They're not gonna like that. Yeah. Right? And that's going to prevent Mexicans from becoming more pr prominent in countries where that's offensive. That's true. But now that they have adopted this, you know, people get mad about political correctness. It's like, no, man. It's like if you were Human just not, if you were just decent yeah. and consider other people's feelings, or at least act in a way that could be mistaken for that, yeah. you will be much more successful in business. And that's what's taking over the world. And the fact that it started in the U.S. is a historical. But it's not like China's going to overcome that. There's no way to overcome it. Yeah. Right. So in a way, China will become an important player. We fundamentally disagree that it's not going to be at the level where we will see it. We're not going to be enslaved by Chinese overlords and their AI cameras. I think it's nonsense. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, four, countries will create... But you never know what can happen in 10 years. In one year, maybe not. But in 10 years, you know, you they could get good at it. <laughs> Countries will create and promote more crypto uh, and currencies to, to help um, transform um, the financial sectors of the world. Um, I, you know, it's been I've been following uh, Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. I remember I was uh, I was writing my PhD thesis, so mm -hmm. I was kind of distractible. It's a boring process, and you just type a bunch. And there was two things that interested me that year. One was uh, Minecraft. Was, okay. was being built by Notch. And it was like, he was posting videos every day and you could watch him like coding it. Were you following him that close? Yeah. yeah. I was like, I was way pre-beta, all that. I was. You're I like was, a super user of the internet. Like I, I every, every time I see somebody do like, what you do, I'm like, how do you, how do you do that? You, you gotta, you gotta find the sources of the memes. You gotta find this, you gotta find the very, there, the internet so you has. you click, 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 click until you get to. Exactly. There's point. like, it's like a fountain. There's like, there's a pipe that all of the internet comes out of. And most people can't find it. You gotta z zero down in that. But I was right on top of that pipe. Okay. I was seeing the birth of all of the cool internet stuff in 2011. Nice. And, uh, or 2010 or whenever I was doing this. And um, the second thing was Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I remember telling Claire about Bitcoin back then. And then, like, eight years later, she was like, why don't you buy Bitcoin back when it costs, like, <laughs> one-tenth of a penny? I was like, I, 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 I don't know. I was writing my thesis. Like, everyone told me to focus and finish my thesis. And, <laughs> um, but, like, what is it actually used for aside from money laundering 10 years later? Right. Nothing. Like, I've, I've never bought anything with Bitcoin. I've never, I've never put on a good pair of VR goggles. Uh, you know, there's just all these trends that it's like 10 years in. Yeah. I, I should have seen something. Right. right? I should have seen something. And there's nothing. And it's just like, are you going to really bet that the next 10 years? Yeah. Because the, 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 the statement at the beginning of the podcast was one year, not much. Yeah. 10 years, anything's possible. Right. Well, it's been 10 years. That's true. What, what happened? Well, like, what's going to happen that so hasn't happened can yet? Can we think about it in a, in a different way? Would, would we see monetary uh, policy change as a result of crypto? I think that's a much better statement, which is the governments used to be able to get away with a lot of stuff right. that they're not going to be able to get away with in the future. The controls on money moving right. around the world, the controls on, you know, there's certain types of things yeah. they used to do that they're just not going to be able to get away with because you can do crypto now right. and because they're going to be sensitive to crypto. Right. But, you know, that feels to me like, here's another one that was like kind of like uh, peaked in like 2015 or whatever mm -hmm. is uh, 3D printing. Right. Right. I see where everyone's going. Like, wouldn't it be crazy if you could print anything? But it's like, yeah, but then on the other hand, what if I just ordered it off of Amazon and they sent it to me? You know, that's always there's always yeah. this other option. And even though 3D printing could do anything, mm -hmm. the other options are getting are responding to it and becoming better and better. And so 3D printing has not changed the world in any. The Segway has not changed the world in any way. The it's a it's there are alternatives, mm -hmm. but they don't have a disruptive potential. And I don't think Bitcoin will disrupt the current financial system, I think it'll just force, you know, they, like, you know, what's, what's the big uh, pay payment? Like, oh, cross-border payments are going to be so much faster with crypto. But it's like every year, the governments are a lot more lenient and put a lot more effort into their fast uh, payment settlement methods and the cross-border payment settlement methods. And so you're seeing the fees that you have to pay to send money between countries go down. You're seeing yeah. fees that you have to transfer money between businesses go down and the speed at which they get settled going from days to seconds. True. And so, okay, if that was the whole point of Bitcoin five years ago and all that stuff's been solved. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it just, it can't disrupt things faster than they can respond to it. Unlike, you know, I mean, the, 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 the smartphone disrupted everything, but yeah. it, it became big in three years and, and I, it's taken 10 for Bitcoin. I think if you look at the um, technological promise of, of uh, crypto, it's pretty cool. I believe that the barrier of entry is too high for the benefit that it provides. And that's one of these, its biggest challenges, especially for big financial uh, corporations that still continue to dominate the world. I believe that even entrepreneurs start doing online banking, new cloud native powered by this technology. We probably see some change, but it's gonna take more than 10 years. I, I read another uh, analysis of Bitcoin that I thought was spot on, and, and it definitely agrees with your point with the entrepreneurs. The biggest thing Bitcoin, it's gonna come out of Bitcoin. Is it probably stay worth two, three hundred billion, maybe worth a trillion dollars in total market cap at one point? But that's not going to. I mean, there's so many billions in yeah. in uh, in wealth and savings, and not all of that's liquid. So it's like you know, as far as the financial system goes, 
I don't think it ever becomes like a giant thing. Right. But there will be some pretty interesting things, which is number one, you have a generation of, you know, because it's been a big deal for the last six, seven years. People have really been into it. Yeah. But you have a generation of tech entrepreneurs who now really understand yeah. the financial industry and payments. They really understand security and crypto, like cryptography, not crypto money, cryptography. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they've taken a couple things that are generally very useful. And I remember we were talking to um, Tech de Monterey mm-hmm. a couple of years, and they were just kind of, what do you think? And they're, they're designing a lot of really innovative, cool uh, new programs. And I was like, crypto is really big right now, but you might get burned in four or five years where it comes out of style. Of but if you teach distributed systems, yeah. security, distributed consensus, security, mm-hmm. cryptography, yeah. and the math behind that, mm-hmm. none of your students are ever going to want a job that don't, they don't have, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And that would also contribute to Bitcoin. So I think that's probably going to be the biggest result, but um, it's not as interesting as like completely overturning the monetary system. This next one is kind of abstract, so let's let's see if we can unpack it. But it says a decentralized internet will emerge, led initially by decentralized infrastructure services like storage, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the emergence of decentralized consumer applications will be slow to take hold, and a killer decentralized consumer app will not emerge until the latter part of the decade. I think, I, we, I think we need to find this one. I agree. Yeah, so so in a way, I believe that he's talking more about like what Jack Dorsey said recently. He's like, if you, you guys are giving us so much feedback about how we should moderate this thing called Twitter, and it's because this thing called platforms is too difficult to control, you should create, you should, we should create protocols instead of platforms. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. It's kind of an interesting idea, and I personally been thinking because like we spoke about platforms i believe platforms are, are a magnificent thing episode four if you guys have that there you go open, yeah. yeah uh and and we spoke about them and the power of them but he he's now talking about protocols and instead of having a single platform that controls all players within that platform what if many players in a decentralized way um through a protocol can interact so what do you think? I think this is a very similar one to Bitcoin, and it comes from the same people. Oh, Platforms is episode five, excuse me. Okay. comes from the same people, which is we're going to have a decentralized internet. And I We don't, do have one right now yeah, from, the, a, from principle. Any, right? Anybody can put up an HTML, but if, you know, there's a lot of pushback because if you say are a neo-Nazi and you put up people's home addresses and say go kill these people. And Google will not yeah, find Google, you. Google will yeah. stop you from having search yeah. and Amazon will take you off their cloud. Although Amazon's actually pretty lenient, but like the, the payment systems will stop processing. Yeah. You, you get deplatformed. True. And um, so everyone's like, oh man, this decentralized internet will change everything. It's like, no, because like neo Nazis are like point zero 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 one percent of Americans, you know. Like they're a tiny. I really, group I really of people, hope you get that right. But they're they're very noisy, and True. the kind of people who would get deplatformed when they've been deplatformed, they come back and they say, "Oh, we're going to start our new, uh, you know, free speech mm-hmm. gab, or mm-hmm. we'll start our new payment." But you know what? You're never gonna your 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 costs. And the difficulty of operating mm-hmm. are going to make it so hard that you'll never get mass adoption. Yeah. And the reason that all of these platforms are so incredible is because 99.99999% of people use them, not because they allow 100% everything. So I think there's this idea when you had the internet that anything would be able to happen. Yeah. And what we found is that actually 99.99% of things happening is exactly like 100% yeah. in terms of 
economics. And if that last little bit of friction that can't be allowed on the platform, unless it's some scalable, it's the next like iteration in humanity, I think free speech of anybody can post online, mm-hmm. that's disruptive. Yeah. Free speech and the kind of the ways that a lot of people think that we need this new, completely unmoderated internet, you're talking about like a couple people. Yeah. And the benefits of platforms and the economics of platforms are so substantial. And the fact that platforms can be controlled by centralized governments are so substantial that I think if something really disruptive started to emerge, the platforms would figure out from their own economic interests about how to... The one thing that I'm going to say is this platforms versus a more decentralized protocol-oriented internet versus whatever, it looks a lot like capitalism and the next wave in the sense of who has power, who has control. I that's and right? I, I we could come back. I don't know how long are we into this episode? Where are we at? 10 minutes. 3 minutes until what? 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Oh, 30 minutes? Oh, we're halfway through. Yeah. yeah. You guys are on top for an hour. You guys are on for an hour. Yeah. If, if you're coming from uh, southern South Guadalajara from Santa Anita and you're trying to get to work on Lopez Mateos, this episode will take the whole route. You you need at least an hour. <laughs> the traffic's gotten worse. Uh, sorry, God. <laughs> so what do you think? Like, so decentralization of the internet, similar concept to, I mean, platform versus protocol. But but you, you look at the what people are kind of taking is like, oh, we yeah. need a new decentralized internet. Yeah. It's this totalitizing way of thinking. Right. You know, it's this idea that there's going to be this now this new layer that's completely accessible to anyone that is now free of the constraints. Mm-hmm. But no, that's just a platform. Yeah. It's just a platform by another name. And what you're talking about is people being alienated from power yeah. by the platforms. Yeah. Right? And so if we go back to this analysis, which I think is like a very Marxist analysis, and I want, I want to do that just so people can kind of like, when Bernie Sanders gets elected president, like <laughs> comprehend what's going on to themselves. Because it's going to be like... You think so? Man, it's looking like it. He's he's leading the the, the polls, but, but I don't want to date wow. the episode. By the time you guys listen to this, it'll be Iowa. Um, but let's say that, that socialist, you know, you have this socialist counterattack to the, the right-wing kind of populism that's happened, right? These big tech companies, they don't, they, they create a bunch of consumer surplus in the sense that I can do things that would have been thousands of dollars for free between AWS or Google searches right. or my, my iPhone. My, I get so much benefit from these, from these technologies yeah. that I don't pay for. So in terms of a su- consumer benefit from a wealth standpoint, the internet is the greatest distributor of value True. to the average person that's ever existed. Yeah. You know, aside from maybe roads or uh, yeah. the shared genetic code we all have in our DNA, whatever, whatever that shared thing, like it's, it's a massive, massive value. But the fact that Google controls all search alienates me from being able to form communities right. and from political movements. And I think when you look at some of the decentralized stuff that has come from like neo-Nazis, right, where they want Gab or these kind of uh, censorship-free systems. And in a country like, you know, Saudi Arabia, like... Those are probably the good guys. Yeah. In a country like the United States, most of the people who are upset about censorship, not as good. Right. Um, but there, if you look at the average person, how it affects them, it's not that they can't say something; it's that they can't organize themselves, or, or yeah. they, or they, or their children never learn how all of these massive systems work because there's like six engineers at Amazon who know the secret sauce that makes the whole, 
you know, yeah. Amazon Cloud work. And it's like, if there's only six people like that, that's actually a huge amount of control and alienation where I can't build my own stuff anymore. I can't hack my own phone. Yeah. I can't create a website True. without Google. No, and, and I, I think that's an interesting point. And, and one where, so I agree with this uh, idea that we'll have a more decentralized internet, but it's going to be a compensation to balance the 2010s in a way that were very platform focused. Yeah. Right? And, and that's what they say right now is that all of like, because, you know, people on Twitter or people on Instagram, where's all the cool people now? Yeah. In, in the DMs. Oh, really? In the direct messages. Huh. They're in the private chats. Like all of the big. I did like, not know that. All the big political like gossip now mm-hmm. isn't online. It isn't on Twitter. Like that's just kind of like the end result. That's like the final processed result that finally makes it to the surface of the ocean and gets right. spread out mm-hmm. everywhere. The real drama, because you don't want to like have your drama online. Mm-hmm. Like you can, True. It's a good way to get, you know, fired or something. But the, all the real drama and all the real discourse that's that's kind of like edgy mm-hmm. is all happening in some private Slack. Wow. Until somebody finds out about it, you get sued, and then yeah, someone releases, it gets disclosed. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like someone releases the entire logs. Yeah. And uh, this happened a few years ago to journalists, is that they had this secret journalist Slack, and someone got in, recorded it all, and then blew them up. That's one of, uh, one of the ideas that I had um, for a tech company, if you will. What if you were to create... A, me, a machine, like basically a laptop mm-hmm. for journalists that makes sure that you have privacy and security, but built into the design of the hardware all the way to the software. Because, I mean... I, I have I have a comment on that, but we're not going to do it on the podcast sorry, today. Let's, let's not going to do it on the podcast today. Uh, uh, <laughs> for several reasons. I'll tell you why. All right. Uh, plant, s- plant-based diets will dominate... Number six. Si- number six. Go ahead. You, you, you. Plant-based diets will dominate the world by the end of the decade. Eating meat will become a delicacy, much like eating caviar is today. Much of the world's food production will move from farms to laboratories. I agree with this one. I agree with this one. Here's the thing. 75% of America's cropland, mm-hmm. we're talking about Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, yeah. Missouri, so on, right, grows two crops. Corn and ethanol, or corn and um, soybeans. Okay. Right? Now, the corn is the primary crop. The soybeans are there for nitrogen fixation to keep the props, but they also export them as tofu, tofu and stuff. Right? But here's what the corn is used for. Like 36, 38% is used for ethanol. Really? For, for fake gasoline. Because it's farm subsidies. The United States is absolutely insane. So they, it's, it's supposed to be carbon neutral because it's like, but it's not. Because you have to you have to use a whole bunch of gasoline to harvest the corn and then process it, and so you you end up making just as much carbon, yeah, almost as as, as burning gasoline. But that's a gigantic percentage. I did not know that. And then um, second is for cows. Thirty eight percent, thirty six percent is for cows. And here's the thing: cows take ten times more calories to produce a cow than you get out of the meat that you eat from the cow. Oh yeah, I've seen this like uh... Mexicans get a little more because they eat every part of the cow. First time I went and got tacos with Vidal like, many years ago, he was just like, and this is, and then they started using Spanish words I didn't know, and then he explained what they were. I'm like, I'm even less likely to eat this. <laughs> anyway, but if, if, you can, if you can go to, I don't, I don't know what that is. Uh, the cheek of a cow. <laughs> okay, good. good. Um, 
if you can go to a system where you turn the calories that are produced through that primary kind of agricultural production yeah. into something that replaces meat, like Impossible Burger, Beyond Beef, you know, and you do that with 30% yeah. loss, well, that means that for one calorie, you need 1.3 calories right? versus one calorie needing 10 times calories, mm-hmm. right? So if we switched 50% of our uh, food production from eating beef to eating a beef substitute. When you think about burritos mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. tacos, I'm just talking about the United States. Burritos don't exist in Mexico, except <laughs> if you're way north. Um, or hamburgers. Yeah. Uh, a lot of that meat, people don't really care about the quality of the meat. They just mm-hmm. care there's something in there that kind of tastes like a hamburger. Yeah. And so once, let's say, 50% of beef production or beef consumption is switched there, that's going to be essentially 50% of that corn production. And beef. it's not just the United States that produces corn. You have corn production in Argentina and Brazil that's causing a tremendous amount of deforestation in Mexico Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And then secondarily, you have uh, cow pastures, Mm -hmm. which is the other way that that beef takes it up. And that's a primary cause of deforestation. Yeah, true. Have you seen this company called Bowery? Bowery Farms? Yeah, it's the, that's the stacked farms. Yeah, right? it's amazing. They so, do them indoors. Yeah, so I was watching a video about them, and what amazed me, because like um, I, was, I was watching it under the concept of DevOps and experimentation, um, was that they run, I believe it was either 1,000 or 10,000 experiment, experiments on the crop, right? Like right now, if you want to run an experiment on corn, it will take you one season mm-hmm. to experiment with one variable. Mm-hmm. These guys can experiment 10,000 times with different light conditions, nutrients. So in a way, like farming, and, and he was speaking about uh, LED lighting being the... the, the, the LED. LED, I'm Not, sorry. Yeah. LED. We, we, That's we, what Mexicans say. We were at this... Uh, <laughs> We were at this uh, plate store in, in uh, is this little like mm-hmm. restaurant supply store, and one of the things is like, Warning, all these plates have lead in them. It's like, why, why is that even this plate you sell? But like all of the, oh, yeah, the yeah. enamel. It's like, this sells <laughs> lead. Like, but it's LED. a restaurant supply store. So every restaurant you go to probably has lead in the plates. Probably. Like, but pl- plomo. Plomo, yeah. Yeah, not LED light. Sorry, I was talking about LED light. Shit. That's true. I got to stay focused. <laughs> we got a few more predictions to get through. We got to stay focused here. Yeah, but no. I, so looking at this, at this uh, startup, right, that is doing experimentation, I just believe that you, first of all, you cannot do that with animals. It will be both he- inhumane yeah. as well as probably very expensive and mm-hmm. inefficient. Talking about climate change, human beings will become far more aware. And as much as we love meat, we will probably need to give up a little bit on it. Yeah, and I think that when we go back to that first one of climate change and the environment, these are, I mean, eating animals is causing a tremendous amount of climate change, both because of the carbon intensity of, of production, yeah. which is an inefficient thing to produce cows for 20 years. And they produce a bunch of methane, which is another uh, pretty bad climate change chemical. But then it's also huge amounts of forest and land, uh, either yeah. deforestation, the soil becomes uh, less productive and yeah. it eventually basically dies. The mm-hmm. organisms that mm-hmm. make healthy mm-hmm. soil die, that causes carbon to be released in the atmosphere. So it's like Farming is not good for the environment at the levels we're doing it. And if we could switch the United States from eating a gigantic amount of its calories from, you know, whatever it is, and then make the plants much more productive using this experimentation and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then also, as I get older, like, the 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 older I get, the fewer things I can eat. Like That's true. I think both you and I over the like, last seven, seven, eight years have... <laughs> 
like the 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 menu for us but you know it's been reduced it's been reduced but we all i mean like if we just immediately switch towards a plant-based diet can we just keep the chickens are chickens energy so efficient chickens are much better than cows Okay, but it's I just love eggs. But it, the, it's a horrible reason. So the ethical part we have left Sorry. out. Sorry. But the the reason that chickens are so much is because like they harvest chickens after six weeks or like something like that. Like they well, give I, don't, them, I don't mean they chicken give, to eat poultry, more like to have eggs. Oh, eggs. Yeah, I think eggs are. I mean, somewhat ethical. Oh, there you but go. the thing is, like, it's chemistry. Why can't we just make some like goop That's that true. tastes <laughs> like eggs? Like, why? Once we've gotten beef, like eggs can't be that far behind. Uh, so yeah. anyway. Just don't tell me what it's made of. That was number six. Number seven. Exploration and commercialization of space will be dominated by private companies. Space uh, will get a lot of investment. I, yeah, I guess so. Uh, what do you think? So right now, SpaceX and then... Um, Blue Horizon? Blue Origin. Is Origin. it Blue Origin? Origin. Yeah, yeah, Blue yeah. Origin, yeah. Uh, Jeff Bezos' space company are yeah. both within two years of a fully reusable, like, top to bottom. I think, you know, SpaceX has pr primarily, uh, you know, reused the first stage. And so we're, we're pretty close to a fully reusable uh, space, space chef that will take stuff into space. Yeah. Right? And when that happens, the cost of a launch is going to go from something like $100 million a few years ago to mm -hmm. the cost of fuel, which is like a million. Nice. And so 100x reduction. And so anytime a price changes by 100x, you got to expect that the primary, like, there's going to be way more stuff in space. Right. The first thing that SpaceX is going to release is this uh, constellation. That they're, they're, gonna, they're supposed to fire last night. They might do tomorrow of their fourth launch of this constellation of 30,000 communication satellites. Nice. So we think of Iridium, which was a space-based communication, like basically space-based cell phones back in the 90s and early 2000s. They had like 160 satellites because it was so expensive to put stuff into space that each satellite had to just do everything. So yeah. they're super expensive, super slow. Elon Musk is going to launch 30,000 of these things into space, or, or Gwen, Gwen Shotwell, whoever is in charge of SpaceX now. 30,000 of these things into space, and then they're going to be in a very low orbit, not way out of geosynchronous. It's going to be a very low orbit, and then they're going to constantly just burn up in the atmosphere when they're done. Really? Every five years. So if you think about 30,000, that means every year 6,000 satellites are going to deorbit, which means 20 per day are going to be deorbiting. Is that going to affect uh, air travel? It's going to affect astronomy, but, there's, but they, they're engineering them. So some satellites, they burn up and okay. stuff will hit the ground. Yeah. These are going to be engineered for, um, there's, a, there's a term they use, but basically all of it will burn up. So okay. nothing will ever get to the ground, Wow. which will probably mean nothing hits a, a aircraft. Up point, yeah. yeah. But you know. Hey, sketchy. 20 a day, that's a lot. But that could never happen if you don't take the cost of getting that stuff into space right. from 100 million a launch down to yeah. a much lower that's number. And so basically, that's an entirely new space industry, mm -hmm. which is worth potentially tens or hundreds of billions of dollars a year in, in worldwide communication. But is it exploiting the power of ever-present data communication channels or, 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 or they, what? Yeah, they actually say that, um, you think about like, well, we already have cell phone service. Yeah. I really want to go to space. Well, when you look at the amount of money mm -hmm. that traders in London will pay for data from New York, which is like some number of yeah. microseconds, milliseconds, I, I should know this, I'm a physicist, I guess, <laughs> but they will pay for 50% faster. Mm -hmm. They will put down a line that goes straighter. Mm -hmm. So instead of going kind of like crooked, yeah. they they will pay for an entirely new 
fiber optic line on the surface on the on the on the on the bed of the ocean just to go slightly faster from London to New York so they can make financial trades based on New York information. Right. A few milliseconds faster. Okay. And they use a, a, a very expensive type of fiber optic, which is hollow inside. Right. Because when light goes through glass, it slows down. That's the index of refraction. So by being hollow inside, the light goes slightly faster. Is it reflecting on the, on the shell? So instead, instead of re- like being inside of the glass the whole time, right. it's mostly reflecting in the, Got it. In the, um, the open air the part of the, of mm-hmm. the thing, right? Mm-hmm. So they go through all this expense. Mm-hmm. Turns out when you have a very low Earth orbit, for your right. satellites, you can just shoot it up to the satellite. The satellite shoots it through empty space all the way over to London and it hits another satellite and then shoots it down to the ground. Turns out that's way faster than the fastest communication that's fiber amazing. optics. Yeah. And so there's already going to be these interesting things in addition to the fact that you could have super fast internet anywhere in the world because these satellites are yeah. just going to be anywhere. You can just point your antenna. And so just that one application I think is going to massively change... Um, how global communications work. It might be something where you suddenly get much better internet at your house because you use yeah. this SpaceX, uh, or it might be one of these things where it just forces the existing incumbents. Do you think m- telcos will disappear as a result of that? No, they'll probably just stop screwing us over so mad. And Thank you. They'll just run, be run better. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and so it's like if you can buy Elon Musk's 100 megabytes per second from Elon Musk or Glenn, Gwyn Shotwell for 50 bucks a month, and then your telco is like, well, we're charging you $100 a month for 50 megabytes to say, no, thank you. And so necessarily it will, will cause the market to reset. Because still one of the disadvantages of satellites, and I, just in my poor understanding of it, like if it's very cloudy, it's going to be a problem, right? Yeah, they use different, different bands of oh, really? uh, radio frequencies. So mm-hmm. water kind of gets absorbed by certain bands, but there's there's windows. Oh, nice. And so you use those. I'm sure they've thought of this. But yeah, people like satellite TV, when it's rainy outside, it sucks. So. Yeah. Advantages, disadvantages. But I think when we look farther forward and probably outside of the span of the next 10 years, yeah. um, there's a tremendous amount of cool stuff that you could do in space. Nice. Like imagine, so you, you know how hard it is to build a, um, a nuclear factory. Yeah. A nuclear plant. Let's say you wanted to make a, a million tons of steel. So you need the raw materials, and then you need a lot of energy to produce the coke and then do all the melting of the steel. I don't know exactly how it works. But imagine you had a nuclear plant where the radiation didn't matter. In space? In space. You're out in the asteroid belt somewhere. Would you have a fetter to... to, to what? Would you have a cable running down to Earth? No, 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 no. You're just going to produce... Let's say you wanted to build the Death Star. Right. All right. <laughs> you want to build the Death Star, which would be a good good idea, American government. You want to stay in, on top of China, get on that Death Star. Um, I mean, really, it's yeah. it's got a lot of advantages offensively. But would, oh, as so an you defense need, mechanism. Yeah, as an offensive mechanism. So you need to make like uh, lots of steel for this thing. Okay. It's like this giant space station out in space that does sends missiles and blows up cities or whatever. Um. If you could harvest the raw materials, the the carbon and the iron and whatever for the steel, and then you could build a giant space factory where you could just have uranium freely, you know, just going nuts. There's no there's no chance of a meltdown. You could just like, I mean, just put a bunch of uranium in a ball, and every time you want to add more uranium, you just kind of like, you know, shoot some at it. You have like a little mist of uranium that you spray at it. 
And this thing could just go nuts. And there's no, there's no health hazards. Hmm. You're 100 million miles from the closest human. It's all done by robots. It's Interesting. I think there's just things like this that we're not thinking about. Yeah. Where you could basically just take an entire asteroid and with robots and these like just giant unlimited uranium, because because the, the these these asteroids are made out of pure uranium sometimes like yeah. all these heavy metals not pure so but you, like you think huge thing the power of, and the metals within uh, asteroids. You can imagine within like 30, 40 years with between automation, cheap yeah. access to space, and um, some just space-based heavy industry that you would have a com like you would completely end all material constraints for things like carbon, uh, sorry, uh, steel and stuff like that. Like you could have industries in space that just have no limitation. There's all of the metals and stuff like that that sunk to the middle of the earth mm -hmm. because it's liquid, mm -hmm. right? They're just available right on the surface of these asteroids. Mm. You just go scoop them up, and then there's no... But they need to be on the path to Earth. Well, th then, then you could, you know, shoot them back down using... I mean, there's, there's propellant and stuff like that, but... You're the physicist, so... Yeah, I'm just saying, you could, you could make these industries in space that have no... There's no environment in space. That's quite... I mean, that's quite interesting. And for, for the people that don't know, Matt is a PhD in physics, so I definitely trust him with everything that he says around the, space. The, the trick is it'll take you longer... Uh, to prove me wrong, then it's worth to you. I'm not, and so I'll, I'll, just, I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll just, I'll act like I'm right, and, and you'll have to accept it. <laughs> nice. Uh, number eight: mass surveillance uh, by governments and corporations will become normal and expected this decade. Privacy. Uh, the biggest consumer of technology says of this decade will be in the area of privacy. I completely agree. This is coming back to your thing, which is we need software, hardware, and software that are basically secure cryptographically. From the get-go. From the get-go. And this, by design. Like, the, you know, the stuff that we have right now, just to, to use uh, Jeff Bezos, mm -hmm. got his phone hacked in WhatsApp. Yeah. Mohammed bin Salman. I won't use his, his uh, I won't call him Mohammed bin Salman on the show. I'll just, I'll just not say that. Uh, that's Alphaphosis. He hacked Jeff Bezos by sending him a WhatsApp message I believe it was only by asking his number and oh yeah yeah and sending his uh, WhatsApp so he message. sends him this his phone WhatsApp gets it immediately downloads it and hacks his whole phone and he's saying and the UN saying that it sent all of his personal data which potentially included enough information for them to figure out about its affair and then do some research and and organize this stuff getting leaked to the National Enquirer like. Jeff Bezos has $100 billion, or at least he did. Uh, you know, <laughs> now he doesn't. Uh, his wife has some of that, but, um, or his ex-wife. But it's like, you think about Donald Trump, mm -hmm. the stuff Donald Trump has done in his life. Dude is still using his iPhone every day. His private personal iPhone, yeah. Jared, Which is probably easier to hack than Jeff Bezos. Uh, yeah, because like Jeff Bezos has, like I'm sure, like the world's best security team at Amazon. Apparently not. And Donald Trump... I. Like, God, no, I mean, like, there's no security, right? And so what, what worries me is that at the big level, uh, these people are being hacked left and right. Like, yeah. why are the Republicans so... They, I mean, like, guys, you have the impeachment trial. Just knife them. Just impeach them. Yeah. Prosecute them. Take them out of the political equation. Everyone will forget about it probably by the time of the election. Yeah. Like, just do it. Why don't they do it? Do, does, does somebody have stuff on them? This is real Joe Rogan shit. <laughs> but uh, man, think about it. We're yeah, all just yeah, yeah. we're all just monkeys, bro. We're all just monkeys. That's Joe Rogan. Anyway, uh, 
so yeah, I think we got, I think not just mass surveillance, but individual surveillance. Yeah, I think there will be it's, an opportunity. Not an app. scary. I think that there's not an app, a consumer app that will help you with this. I think there's consumer devices that will help you with this. I, 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 I think it's a huge market. And the stuff that's happening to Jeff Bezos now is just going to continue to happen and continue to happen. Imagine an AI that figures out what porn you've looked at and then blackmails you automatically for Bitcoin. Like the, the fact that that hasn't happened yet, like everybody. And it's just going to release everybody's... The, the F. Right? Where did that come from? I'm golden. I'm, I'm going to be totally fine because I don't look at anything bad ever. And uh, <laughs> so I'm fine. But I know a lot of people get anxious when yeah, you say yeah. that and yeah, you yeah. Know, it shows something about them. Yeah. No, but like, I think stuff like this is going to just... How would it go away? It's just going to get worse. In 10 years, yeah. it's going to be worse and worse and worse. And I think yeah. Apple right now is probably leading the wave in terms of security in terms of locking down the access to apps because it makes sense for them. Yeah. And companies like Google and Facebook are probably going to f- face the biggest economic hurdles there yeah. because their whole business is about knowing everything about you. Exactly. And for them to continue to operate on these ecosystems, the ecosystems have to remain insecure. I personally and Apple, switched, Apple, I think, is going to make it secure. I agree. I personally switched. I, I mean, I, I, I mostly use uh, Apple products, but I was using Chrome. And just because I knew how much data they were leaking on me, I completely went to Safari, even though I was far more productive on Chrome. I was very, I mean, I've, I've been using Chrome for the last, like, 15 years. Yeah. Or, sorry, 20, 10. I'm sorry. I don't know how, how long or well, and it's your and it's your job as a CTO to be highly secure, right? If you're handling customer information and things like that, I mean, these systems are intrinsically insecure. And who could buy your data? And it's like if you go to a, com- a company's website and you're in finance, yeah, right, and some hedge fund can buy your search history, yeah, and you're the say a corporate officer, and you have been shown that you're going to a company that you might acquire quite oh, a yeah. bit, yeah, that stuff is like, yeah. Cool. It's probably happening now, yeah. That's right, true. like there's there hedge funds and, and these and these different financial, uh, uh, you know, betters. They used to take pictures of people at the airport, following where corporate jets are going. You don't think they've already tried to either use hacking or just use the the publicly available data and placing cookies on different websites to determine which acquisitions are going to happen. I mean, those would be the first things you would expect, and then you can see more and more nefarious stuff. And I think with the stuff like what happened to Jeff Bezos, that's a huge black eye for Facebook. You know, you have Instagram pictures getting leaked. Oh, yeah. You have WhatsApp. And Mark Zuckerberg, I think, realizes that this kind of security stuff, because he keeps talking about, yeah, the future is all about private chat, and they need to find different ways of monetizing people other than just selling what their interests are to whoever pays them on the Internet. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I personally think Facebook is done, but they're not going to be done in, for, for, for a good while. I think it's done because who runs Facebook is done. As a company, they will be around. Personal point of view. Unless they want to buy from Wiseman. <laughs> uh, we will finally move um, from the baby boomers dominating the conversation, number nine, in the U.S. and around the world. And millennials and Gen Z will be running many institutions by the end of the decade. Wow. What a, That's not a prediction. What a prediction. <laughs> Old people will die and young people will get older. Uh, yeah. Well done. I mean, I guess it takes. Sorry, yeah. I you know, that, with, that was a filler. That was a filler. Everyone's like, "Oh man, when will the Donald Trump era?" I don't know. It's probably like a, a certain number of McDonald's hamburgers away from <laughs> solving itself. Like it's just gonna wrap itself all up because he, dude, it's like seventy-eight years old and looks like uh, 
a sack of shit. I'm but sorry. But he has a point. Sorry, <laughs> he's going to die. I think, he, I think Fred has a point. I think that we're seeing younger and younger people in the economic leadership world, right, as well as the government uh, world, isn't it? Aren't we yeah, seeing younger got, and they, younger senators? And, 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 and in Europe, you have younger and younger people, and I think that's going to feed into a lot of the trends that came earlier, Yeah, which is more environmentalism, less focus on cars and the things that yeah. you know, baby boomers valued above everything because, yeah, it's not a big deal to have a car anymore. But what is a big deal is that you have a cool apartment in a trendy neighborhood and you have to walk everywhere. Right? And so as people's, you know, as the leadership changes and people's economic power changes, uh, you know, naturally the kinds of things that capitalism will produce and the, our current political systems produce. I don't know, man. This bores me, though. Let's go to number 10. Old people are going to stop being in charge. Now, yeah. so what I, I, I'm trying to make sense of it, right? But what I believe is is the point of uh, a new generation moving into power earlier than expected. Is right? it early? And then maybe in like a kind of a wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't really see it though. But what is, what is that one? Uh, for every season, turn, turn. It's just, it's just Ecclesiastes or something like that. Like, Is that a song? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It's it's it's, it's like uh, it's such an aphorism. It was in the Bible. Nothing new under the sun. All right. Anyway, uh, continued advancements in genetics will produce uh, massive wins this decade. Uh, fertility, cancer, uh, reproduction, everything will change in genetics, and and we'll we'll find new interesting ways to fight diseases. But it will get into the political. I'm sorry, the moral and ethical realm. I've had a few friends who've had trouble conceiving because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm at that age where all your friends are, like, yeah. having babies and stuff. And so if you've had tr- trouble conceiving and they go get the genetic, the in vitro and all this stuff, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And uh, it went from being, like, a last resort, right? like, just because I want to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And the level of genetic testing and selection that you get with these things now, it actually kind of sounds like just, like, the better option. Yeah. They, so, so instead of just doing it in a traditional way, you go and actually engineer your kid? Yeah, and, okay, that just probably says a lot about our culture, that it's like, oh, you don't have to sex anymore. You, you totally don't, <laughs> even, you don't even need to do that. It's, what, was this, what was that's this? That's the old so way. I, have you seen this movie where uh, Sylvester Stallone is, is this guy that gets cryogenic, whatever? De- Demolition Man. Is yeah, it? and they don't have sex. Yeah. Dude, yeah. I don't know if that became a big hit in Mexico, but in the United States, it's... I like that movie. Uh, yeah, it's it's like definitely a huge classic. Taco Bell is the only restaurant. Uh, and then he has sex with Sandra Bullock by like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do this weird thing where they put on a helmet or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, and, yeah. and they have like a light show. And it's very weird. It's very weird. I agree. We deviated from the point. But I agree. So I, I completely agree. I, I don't know about the sex creation of kids part, but I, I'm very excited about fixing major diseases, especially when they're scary as the ones that are popping up right now. Here's something to think about. Yeah. Yeah, like, obviously, like, Cancer. cancers and stuff. Yeah. They're getting way better at reducing cancer mortality. Yeah. It's pretty exciting stuff. Like, good job, medicine. We pay enough, <laughs> right? Anyway, uh, something to think about, though, is there's so much, there's a lot of IQ science now with Trump. What do you mean? Well, basically, they take all these statistics and they prove somehow that, like, oh, look, that this race has six points lower IQ than this other uh, race and all this stuff. And it's yeah. like, yeah, but if you take lead out of pipes, then suddenly <laughs> your IQ goes up by 15 points. 
And, you know, the average, like, white American, you know what their IQ was in 1900? There's 107 now or 106 now mm-hmm. on average, right? Mm-hmm. It was, like, 90. Okay. And, like, if you grow up by a freeway, you're stupider and stuff. So there's all these, like, pollution effects and yep, educational yep, yep. effects that just make it very hard for IQ to, to be, like, some kind of racially determined thing because, right. yeah, if you grow up in a society that encourages that, you're going to get better at the tests that you know, measure your ability to do math and stuff. You've just been practicing your whole life. I used to teach SATs and they said like, oh, you can't study for the SATs. But then I would get paid a whole bunch to teach students SATs and their scores would go up like a huge amount after I told them how to cheat on the, not cheat, but like game the test. Right, like, right, right. How to answer, how to, you know, make sure you fill in the bubbles. If, if you can eliminate two answers, then definitely fill in the bubble and guess. And all of these techniques would just increase your score. And then you talk about pollution and mm. environment and, and what was their first language and stuff. But let's just imagine, beyond all of that, right. that in 10 years, they create one of these genetic things, you know, either before you're born, while you're an embryo, or a pill they can give you that just like, oh, yeah, it turns out there's like this one gene that produces this this polymer or whatever. I don't know what they're going to I'm bad at protein or whatever. But yeah. That just makes you stupid. Like there's just one thing. And the smart people have less of it, and the stupid people have a lot of it. And we give you this pill. It changes your DNA using some virus that's in the pill or whatever. And then you're just not stupid anymore. And everybody has 150 IQ in, in 20 years. It will be very talkative. And then... Can you imagine how many podcasts, though? (laughs) So that is the segue to our last topic. That's our top 10. Thank you, Fred Wilson. Yeah, and and I have to say, like, I I think we got... When we started this episode, we believed we would do a little bit of commentary. Evidently, we uh, disagree with some of the points, but we have to say, like, we do respect what this author has, has written. We just wanted to give our own perspective. Yeah, my top 10 things for 2020 would have been, like, the video games that are coming out this year. And then, like, the Marvel, like, <laughs> Black Panther's coming out in 2021. Uh, yeah, Bobby Schmurder gets out of prison this year. Like, that's my predictions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is way better than I would have done. Uh, our last topic was uh, Q4 Studios, yeah. which we promote regularly on the show. We get a little update. Um, so Lalo's in the studio. And uh, so we had this idea like a long time ago, that we did not want to produce our own podcast. Yep. Because it's a pain. Yeah. Right? And uh, we wouldn't do a great job at it. And there was like Anchor, which we wanted to use. Yeah, and we, we used Anchor. Yeah. And we used Anchor, and it helped a lot. But we were like, what if we just did a production? And the idea was, if we just found a studio and started doing podcasts with them, mm-hmm. then eventually... Um, they would find other podcasts to do. Yeah. And then instead of us having, because at the beginning it was a lot of like, well, this is what we want and we were finding equipment and it was a little, it was a little work on our part. But now Q4 Studios has like tons, six or seven, six or seven podcasts already and it's growing pretty quickly. Um, and this has become like a bigger part of your recording business. They do music and, yeah. and other types of recording, but it's becoming like a really fast growing part of his, of uh, the Q4 Studios business. And it's just awesome. So now we're in Guadalajara and we want to do a podcast, or we have a friend that wants to do a podcast. Yeah. We just give them the WhatsApp, and then boom, they're doing 10 episodes of, uh, of podcasting. Nice. So our, my, my friend uh, Sylvia, um, she's like, Matt, you do a podcast. Give me some advice. I said, just call Q4 Studios. It's easy. And so I, I just like that. Number one, you know, I like personally that I had this idea that we should like, let's just find a studio yeah. and then make them the podcast studio. Yeah. And then it totally worked. You guys have done a great job at, at Q4. 
Um, and then second, it's just kind of like these are the type of things that in Guadalajara make it better to be down here. Yeah. I don't, I don't, not better than anywhere else, but the fact that this exists and that somebody wants to do a podcast. So we have a couple podcasts um, that have started at Wiseline. Yeah. Doing a DevOps podcast that yes. you're using for recruiting yes, and sir. to just get the whole team here kind of more aligned about best practices and things like that. As you know, if you're stuck in traffic, you can just get better at your job or you can learn about a new place to work or something like that. So that was, it was very cool to just say, take something that was a lot of, you know, when we were first thinking about doing a podcast, it was kind of like stressful and we didn't yeah. know what to do. We didn't know how to yeah. do it or distribute it. Scary. We didn't have video. Um, and then suddenly, Q4 couple, a couple of years later, Q4 Studios is here and we're just like, oh, you want to do like a, like a pretty awesome, you know, people have given us compliments on the production and the sound yeah. and, and, and the level of sophistication. And it goes from being something that that would take a huge amount of work to something where you just call Lalo. And the more customers you have, the better the equipment gets and the less it costs per person for that equipment because it's just people utilizing it and stuff. So I think it's a great entrepreneur story. Congratulations to you guys. Yeah. You've done a great job. And um, we really look forward to 50, 100 podcasts. Yeah. And then once the brain pills come, brain pills? everyone does the podcast. There you go. When you have the the things that make you smart. But everyone's smart. Which, you know, 2030, everyone's going to be smart. Nice. I, I like that that's prediction. That's the prediction. I like that prediction. Or everyone will have podcasts. In 20, 2030, uh, Q4 will be doing 50 times the number of podcasts. It'll or be, con- it, it'll, be con- no, it'll, it'll be the new NBC. All, nice. all shows will be Q4. Nice. Yeah. I love it'll it. It'll be Disney. They'll, Disney will acquire Q4. How about that? Disney. Q4 has a lot of content. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of content. All right. Thank you for uh, coming uh, back with us yeah. at Tectulia. We do appreciate it when you tell us that you listen to the show because we yes. see the analytics, but when we know who are actually those people... We get very excited. And we come and we record. Second thing is, if you have an idea for the show or if you want to comment on something we've said, we are thirsty. Like, we will anything you send us. You, we got the Twitter, which we get yeah, the DMs are open. You can send us uh, the emails. Um, Matt at tectulia.org. Yeah. .org, yeah. And then Vidal G, or Vidal, Vidal at, just Vidal at TikTok.org. And uh, just send us your ideas or comments, or if you want to come on the show. Yeah. Screw it. It's a podcast, whatever. Let's do it. Let's do it. See you next time. Thank you.